Yeah, I've had a strange couple of days this week as well. Um, so depending on, on whether or not we're going to include this into the episode, I'm just going to go on the record and say my, my grandmother passed two days ago from COVID. Um, and she's been ill for, for quite some time, so it wasn't unexpected. Um, and it was probably for the best given her, her other conditions and, and this general state that she was in physically. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been spending time with, with family, uh, which, you know, I had a, I had a weekend, I think it was two weeks ago when, when I canceled the recording with you guys, cause, cause I was going out there as well. When she first got COVID and after that, I'd just gotten into my, my daily routines, my every day, you know, getting back fully, fully connected to, you know, my, my general surrounding. And then this hit, um, which is sort of what bugs me the most, you know, how poorly timed everything is. How everyone said 2020 was going to be a great, fantastic, majestic year, and then you know, Bam. bitch slap in the face. You should fire those bitches. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then again, you know, learning how to. I thought about that yesterday. You know how I got I got restless in the afternoon because we, you know, didn't do anything. Um, and then I just realized, you know, let's just be with this. That's what we're doing. Um, being with one another, being with the feelings, being with memories. Um, which is, you know, it's strange. The whole concept of someone not being there anymore. It's still very strange to me. <sighs> and apparently my grandmother was a, was a hell of a writer. And you didn't we know? We didn't know. Oh. We had no idea. Now my my mum's best friend from from when she was growing up they they used to hang out at my mum's place or well my grandmother's place uh, a lot so she, my mum's friend is very or was very close to to my grandmother and, and she meant a lot to her um, and she couldn't sleep the other night when when she got the news so she stayed up and she googled a bit and she found her. Um, papers from university which apparently was magnificent um, but she wrote about quite obscure things some some she her her what do you call it doctor shop hunting doctorate thesis yeah um, that uh, she wrote about some some obscure polish writer from from the 1800s I think um, and so it doesn't doesn't really interest us in in that sense it's not something that we um, neither my mum and I um, you know couldn't wait our, to get our hands on but apparently it was it was magnificent really well written and she never told anyone that's kind of cool and sad But yeah, so my, my general state is a bit off, I think, is the best description. Hmm. 
I've been thinking a bit about, <clears throat> you know, with this whole process, we, we spoke, I think we spoke, spoke shortly about the episodes that, that my employer, John, made about the uh, Swedish system when, when someone dies and the whole airing process and, and all of that. Tied together with, with what you were speaking about months ago, Dominic, with we can't handle too many deaths. And I realized <clears throat> now that with with all of this happening, how how fucking complicated this system is and how complex it is to navigate whilst, you know, mourning. Because um, my mom is the only child to my to my grandmom. Uh, and and alone in that whole process, and then she got relatives, my my grandmother's sister and and brother, and you know that I don't even know half of them, um, and they sort of want to get involved and help out, but they're also quite hard to navigate. They they they'd rather go in and just do it themselves. Those kinds of people. Um, you know, that's what they do. Um, you know, sort of things just like my mum wanted to postpone the ceremony of, of the funeral. And I had no idea we could do that. Um, and then, you know, you, you need to get that paper from there. And, and we don't know if she has any insurance. So we got to pay money to know because there's a service. And then you got to go to the funeral service. You know, there, there's just a heck of a lot to do when someone falls off. Um, you know, just realizing how how many threads there are to a life, really, because there are so many. And my to that, my grandmother didn't have any. You know, she had very limited social contact she wasn't involved in any um ngos you know she didn't work she you know she she mostly kept to herself she went to university and and that was pretty much it but imagine someone someone being active and going and you know in a lot of contexts mm. having a lot of things going for them just the aspect of how do you make sure that, like you say, maybe with your grandmother, it's not so hard, but, but somebody who is, you know, threads throughout. How do you just make sure that everybody who really means something gets to find out? How do you do that? Especially today when, I mean, sure, you're right on Facebook, but, you know, it's like, how, how do you do that? There's a lovely tradition in um, in Judaism that instead of like one does in, in in the Christian religions of saying I'm sorry for your loss or offer your condolences, um, you say I wish you long life. So when somebody's passed away, you extend your wishes of long life to those who remain. And in that, there is for me some of the answer of that question that you're posing, because regardless of whether we had social media or whatever, um, we live in imperfect realities, we humans. It means that not everybody gets to be informed in time. Not everybody that things have meaning for um, kind of make it to the right place at the right time, regardless of whether it's 500 years ago or, um, you know, 2020 with any amount of communication possibility does not supersede the reality of human relations. And the reality of human relations are these endless numbers of, of threads, as you say. How many threads 
makes up a life. Well, it's, it's really quite impressive how many threads makes up a life. The extent of our influence is incredible. It's really remarkable. And possibly most obvious in just, just these, these, these moments where someone passes away and you discover that there are connections, there are activities, there are skills, talents, uh, things that were done, that were not done, that were owned, that were not owned. And all of this demands attention and that demand of attention is often a demand for a relationship and it's really not easy because, as you say, there's, there's grief involved. And unsurprisingly, um, a great many families kind of fall apart under the pressure of what happens when a, when a, a physical life ends. And all of those threads come together in, in places that hurt, that are feeling quite um, fragile and vulnerable and possibly without the language or the tools to, to navigate, let alone navigate the, the formal aspects of it. Yeah, and I mean, too, that the whole, the whole, <clears throat> you know, we've, we've got these threads out in relationships, in, in connections with other people, but we've also got these internal threads that, that no one might know about, like amazing writing. Which is also to me, make, makes it a lot more complex. Because that's also part of us. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a book written in Swedish, but I think it was translated into English two, three years ago on death cleaning. Some some quite old, I think it's an old lady who, who sort of, it was her first book and it just went boof, you know, super bestseller. Um, and I mean, it warrants some thinking, you know, if I die now, shit, the stuff that people that I love will have to sort of sort through somehow, decide is this to stay or to throw away, is this to sort of do I look at it <clears throat> or don't I, what would I have wanted them to do. Um, I remember my mom saying a couple of years ago when, when we sort of, we tease her lovingly that she has so much stuff, so much stuff. <laughs> Um, and she was like, oh yeah, there's probably some letters I need to get rid of. You know, it's like the stuff that you sort of, that's mine. Like you say, the threads that go inwards, maybe they aren't for somebody else. Maybe they really should just be, you know, this is the box where do not open, throw away upon death. Um... Yeah, it's 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 interesting. They're not um, <clears throat> they're not shallow questions to explore. No, they are not shallow. Or our lives, our own. Well, I think I'm going to 
try to thread this together. We we started watching a, a series on HBO last night. Um, I can't remember the name, but but I know Daniel Radcliffe is in there, and it's about God. So so those who want to look it up, please do. Um, so they they portray they portray heaven or, or you know the the God place as a company and God as their CEO. Um, fuck. Where was it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what a great summation of the problem. <laughs> oh, now I know. So, so he has a meeting with his parents, and apparently God has siblings. You know, it's a very funny scene. But, it, he, but he's pitching his new idea because he's going to blow Earth up. He's and we're speaking his... about God. Yes, God. Yes. Um, and so he's pitching his new idea, which is a restaurant on a river. It's, yeah. And, and they start asking about Earth. And his siblings go, go on and harass him about it. And they're like, yeah, he only built stuff on the surface because he, he forgot the middle of it. Um, and then, then they go, he gave them free, free will. And his parents go, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? That's not a big problem. And there's a huge fight. Um, now, connecting those, those threads, um, I think what, what we've been thinking a lot about in, in all of this is, you know, what would, what would she want? My grandma, what should, what would she have wanted? And you know, in in most of the cases, it would be you know, don't save every photo that I've ever taken that's backed up on iCloud. You know, because because they were for me, they were those internal threads. Um, But, you know, just leaving that note would have been very helpful in, in all of this. Saying, this was mine. Please destroy at at passing or at death, you know. Just some kind of self-destruct. You know, don't fucking log into my Evernote account because you're not going to be happy. Uh, <laughs> Or, you know, I'm going to haunt you in my afterlife. Whatever. <clears throat> that little note can, can display that free will, I think. In many cases. Because we can, we can, in that instance, choose what would I like for other people to see? What would I like to keep myself? Well, yeah, <clears throat> that's why I say I don't think that they um, they they easy questions. They kind of have um, lots of very deep rabbit holes connected to the same question. Yeah, and there's so much fear, I think, involved in it. I have a I have a friend whose father was sick for many years, but sort of. Um, sort of one of those in the background, you know, occasional into the hospital stuff. But but for many years, and and everybody knew, including him, that this would kill him. But but it's sort of you know it took ten years or twenty, you know, it took a long time, but it would kill him. He would not live long. And then he passed, um, and this quite a few years ago, but. And in the last months, he was really ill. He was in the hospital. You know, he was he was bad, <clears throat> sort of in a bad state. But when he passed, his his sambo, um, the lady he was living with, she was absolutely torn apart because she had no idea what he wanted. Because they had never talked about it. 
Does he want to be cremated or, you know, buried in the ground? Does he want to have a big ceremony? Does he not want to have a big ceremony? You know, they had not, you know, what kind of music would he like to have played? You know, zilch. They had not talked about it at all. And I'm just, oh, the the amount, I you know, it's like the amount of sort of pretense that has to have been there somehow, you know, I don't want to talk about this because it will remind me that I am dying and I don't want to be reminded that I am dying. So I'm just not gonna. And 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 it was so hard for her when he passed. It was so hard. Because then she was standing there, you know, I have to make the decisions or, you know, together with his, his children. But, and, and the amount of fear that has to have been in them individually and in their togetherness to, to, to be able to sort of pretend like this, this does not exist. This is not a possibility. So I think sort of from, from a, the, the ones left over, absolutely, please make sure that you, you know, you've signed up this, in Swedish we call it Vita Arkivet, uh, sort of the white files where you, sort of the funeral agencies have this, where you can, you know, answer lots of questions about what you want to be done with you, do you want to be donated to medical, you know, and what type of service and, and, you know, who to call and what to do with my stuff and everything. But there's probably lots and lots and lots of, of massive resistance towards even starting to look at that stuff. Because it is sort of a, oh yeah, shit, I am going to die. And like you said, Dominic, in some episodes, like, we are all going to die. There's no saving lives when we save a life. It's prolonging life, right? Because we're going to die. This we know. And yet, well, yeah, you might live forever, but everybody else. Um, there's so, so it's like, it's, yeah, it's not shallow questions, these. And actually, <clears throat> we're all dying we are. as we speak. From the moment we draw mm. our first breath, that's the path we're on. And I think also that, you know, there's, there's something um, uh, kind of profoundly valuable in that there are um, these uh, uh, both formal and um, cultural uh, traditions, more um, uh, customary traditions around death, so that there are formal processes, there are documents you can fill in beforehand and, and express your wishes and make wills and, uh, you know, draw up schedules of who gets what and et cetera, et cetera, which is all great that it's there. But I think it's, it's like in a, in a field of, um, you know, uh, grass and flowers and et cetera, et cetera, everything has its place. Um, and not everything is equally pleasant to everything else. And likewise, <clears throat> you hear these stories about people who just kind of got everything sorted, you know. Um, wow, that's amazing that all these uh, insurances and they prepared all the documents and everything worked out really well and so on and so on. And that's, that's like one beacon in a, in a landscape of possibilities. But there are also other stories of messy processes involving lots of conflicts and families that go into kind of, uh, you know, 
uh, lawsuits about who owns what and uh, who should have gotten what. And there are divorces and remarriages and, um, you know, children out of wedlock and <laughs> stuff that really makes up the, um, the grand picture of history and makes it really interesting and sometimes kind of spicy, you know. Um, but in the whole, I think that that, Stuff that is messy is really the the glue that makes the picture meaningful. That provides um, the the energy that makes relationships dynamic and resilient, and um, uh, gives them this kind of. Uh, robustness and flexibility and, and uh, the, the, the strength to actually evolve into um, different forms, into deeper and wider and, and more um, nuanced exchanges. Places of discovery, you know, they're like... Um, My head just went down a rabbit hole. Uh, if I sort of understand it correctly, what you're speaking about, Dominic, sort of this, this, you know, we have the inheritance and we need to know who has a right to it. I mean, being one of the major drivers for marriage as a legal sort of agreement, right? Um, and how it was for a long, long time. And, and now I think we've sort of, well, I can only speak for myself perhaps, but, but listening to this episode of our friend Jans is in Swedish, unfortunately, but on sort of, you know, who gets what, and if you have siblings, if you have has parents, if you're married, if you're not married, do you have kids, do you have kids in wedlock, out of wedlock, who, you know, who gets what. I think we've gotten sort of detached from the understanding of how complex this is and how the rules the laws really regulate everything to a degree that you you sort of you know we've come to this well of course i'm if i'm living with someone of course they will you know get it it's like no shit they will not not in according to the swedish law at least and and then how with sort of modern technology, you can find out who is your father, who's your mother is probably easier in a large number of cases. But so that sort of as the the reason for marriage as as a um, sort of legally binding agreement is like, well, that's actually not um, that's no guarantee. Right there's apparently a lot of kids born in wedlock who have different fathers than the one that they're sort of officially assigned to. But it's interesting because because the concept of marriage is sort of it it's it's falling apart on many sort of reasons. But I think the our lack of 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 understanding how that sort of helps while at the same time maybe marriages sort of were started because of the rich and wealthy and not because of the the normal man on the street because they didn't have a lot of stuff but today everybody has a lot of stuff so in a sense it it should be more you know, there, there's a there's a larger push for marriage in a sense because everybody owns stuff. You know, and we can have you know if you have a house and a car and you know a summer car, you know it it sort of amasses into quite a lot of money for many people, even though we don't really 
perhaps think about it that way. I don't know. That was just, that was, I stumbled down into that hole. Well, I think it's quite a, a strong magnet because in the background of this, I mean, what, what, what's um, stimulating for me in the, in, the, in, the, in the discussion is that, or in this question is that um, throughout history we've created all of these institutions, different kinds, you know, um, whether they customary law or things that are just uh, verbal agreements or whether they're actually formalized into um, statutes and so on. But at the basis of it, there's this um, very not complex, simple reality of biological existence that involves, as uh, many people have pointed out, amongst them Freud, uh, that there's this extreme polarity that, that generates amazing amounts of power um, and, the, and the polarity exists between desire and death. That there's this uh, um, there's this kind of dynamo of generative power that exists between these two moments that we don't spend a lot of time on on reflecting over um, when you sort of see things or people that you feel attracted to, uh, you just gravitate in that direction. And um, maybe you start to actually accumulate a whole bunch of things, um, you know, whether you need them or not. Or this not the issue here. Uh, but you build a life around desire. What do I want for myself? What do I want for my life? Um, and that may include a partner, and then, well, that partner may possibly die, or they may sort of not be desirable anymore, and then you might get another partner, or you might get, you know, um, sidetracked and have children with another person than your designated partner, and then that may further complicate the, the, the kind of trajectories of desire, but they all always will seemingly tie up in this moment of death. Where desire ends. Like at that point, desire is not really possible anymore. So there's this expression, for example, that they say, well, um, I think it's a, uh, some sort of idiom or something like that in Italian where they say that uh, your spouse is only yours while you're married, but your ex, that's forever. <laughs> so don't get married to someone who you don't want to be divorced to. And when you think about things like that, um, often people kind of balk at exactly these marriage contracts that you do a so-called anti-nuptial contract. Um, where you decide before you get married what it's going to be like when everything fucks up. Yeah. When it falls apart, I get this. This, yeah. Mm. Um, and there are these fabulous expressions like community of property um, that describes anti-nuptial agreements where um, whatever you had before the marriage is yours. But once you're in the marriage, everything that's generated after that is in community. Mm. I.e. It's, it's shared exactly equally. And the, the, the expression in community is so interesting because in many ways, death is always in community, unavoidably so. We can't get away from the fact that uh, we are, because of relationship, our being is dependent on um, relationship. And when we get away from the, the institutional pictures of these things, I think it's only then that 
things like grief start to really make sense, that they become literally embodied where we can feel our way into the genuinely soulful and genetic aspects of that this is a life that continues within me despite that it is no longer with me. And those questions bring us into such challenging states, just cognitively, that I think one of the, 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 the reasons why we have this kind of spread, this messy arrangement of possibilities of what happens after someone dies, is that it gives us something to do. helps us to kind of orientate and have details to deal with. Beyond this kind of pure state of just being with it, just being in that state of, wow, you know, there's a genetic strain that leads endlessly through time. There's a distant uh, relative that, of mine that also passed away from COVID. And here is another life with as many threads that I have absolutely no conscious knowledge of. So this is a, a spouse of, of um, a parent's cousin. It's like two, three steps removed, you know. Um, and even these kind of, of networks, these tendrils sometimes just... by some amazing series of, of, of chance happenings, they come back and, and prove that somehow I was connected to this person. I have no idea. It may happen. But at the moment, I don't have any of that. And I can sit and think, yeah, that's kind of weird, you know. Um, if this person had passed away in any other context than... Uh, COVID pandemic, it probably wouldn't even have reached me by news at all. And again, it sort of uh, brings this, this question to me of, are our lives our own? And to what degree? Obviously, we have rights to, to wish that certain things will happen, that certain things might be preserved, that um, assets may be, um, you know, distributed in particular ways, etc., etc. Um, <clears throat> but then the way that it turns out, what has that got to do with me? But it's, you've raised an interesting point there with now you find out that your parents' cousin's spouse passed away because of the pandemic that is currently sort of still a global, you know, we're all connected on account of this one global thing. And otherwise, had it been cancer, heart attack, you know, whatever, you probably wouldn't have found out. And you're right, you probably wouldn't. Cause... But, but, but that's interesting. 
You know? Why is it the, the cause of death that's the interesting thing? And, and sort of two things. One is, well, it can actually sort of increase then the, the threads, you know? Because then you find out, and, and you know, you can give a, a moment's thought to this person and to uh, her or his loved ones, and, and, you know, and, and that's, that's lovely. But at the same time, are we then just sort of, you know, digging so deep to create threads that in, in cases like this are to a large extent sort of tragic. They are death related or disease related. And, and, and how does that contribute to, how does that contribute to mental unhealth really for lots of people because we're so busy searching for that. Is that good for us? So you have sort of, you have the both and. It, 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 can, it can make you feel connected. And it can probably make people feel, you know, at a larger risk, at, you know, sort of taking, taking it on. If I'm, I'm, you know, if I have a whole range of people who whose deaths I would not know about had it not been for this, does that, what does that do to me? One of the things we started out in this discussion was um, talking about how uh, Pandemics represent group processes where pretty much every single person on the planet is in some way connected um, in ways that we haven't seen for many decades. Completely surprising, you know. It's like a, um, an unusual experience. And suddenly the idea that we're all connected, you know, with the whole sort of internet rah-rah, um, sort of shifts in its in its perspective. It shifts in in its import because it's not really enough. People find that that's uh, stressful in the sense that when you can't go out and meet people, when you only have this electronic communication, um, it doesn't actually make you connected. Oh dear! Uh, so what does that what does that do for us? And I think in similar ways, there's these. Um, existential networks that we connected in that if not for the pandemic we would probably not even have uh, put any time to them any energy to it, any effort to it unless you're doing something like uh, uh, um, genealogy research and you go in and see that you know um, Uncle David's third child, you know, uh, was connected to this or that or had this particular affliction or whatever, and you can see these things happening um, throughout the, uh, the family or that it comes into the family at a certain time. It's like 1743, someone marries Lillian um, from X region who has with her this or that gene or that kind of thing. You can see those sort of things, but they're not really that um, commonly felt. The notion of, of, of six degrees of separation, you know, has been sort of one of those um, measurables <laughs> that we also spoke about. That you can sort of uh, uh, easily measure your your network influence through this uh, notion of degrees of separation. Everybody can potentially get in touch with the president by three or four steps, you know. Um, but all of it doesn't really um, 
carry the same weight of saying three steps of connection away, someone has died um, from the same pandemic disease that's at my doorstep right now. It's like right at that moment you might consider um, whether the cause of death can really carry uh, that sort of, of um, leverage or whether it actually is something else. of our the way we humans are now sort of dispersing not just that we're all over the globe but that people are moving farther away and sort of still being connected how a thousand years ago it would make perfect sense that you were totally in with the fact that your parents cousin spouse died because you would be living in the same little you know hamlet of a hundred people or you know it, it's like of course you would because you would know them because you know that would have been amongst your sort of extended family or tribe or or something but that that concept today is a much more it's a it's a less geographic container uh, so it's less obvious perhaps But then also, is it harder to, like you say, is it then harder to embody it? Because it's not as physically present. It's not, you know, it's, it's not something I can touch in the same way. And that sort of just, you know, it, it gets you up in your head and then you, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh shit, where, where do I go then? Which I also think that, that COVID now, I mean, your grandmother, Caspian, and the service and where she lived because she didn't live close to you. And, and you know, it's like, how do you do that? And, and do you go? Do you not go? Do you have a digital service or online, you know, a Zoom uh, funeral? And, and, and if you go... Um, do you hug? Do you not hug? Do you? It's like this. The pandemic, as such, sort of puts a lot of. It's easy to go up in my head for me. In thinking about this, when when in reality, I would like for me to just be able to sort of be in me, in my body, like here, and just and just do what 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 there is a physical urge to do somehow yeah, we've actually had some conversations about that because you know we live down here my mom lives down here um the rest of the family lives in either stockholm Uppsala, or estesund um, it's like half of Sweden right there yeah exactly mm. um, but the but the main issue for us right now is is emptying her apartment um, and since my mom is the only heir 
Um, she's got to, you know, figure out what she wants to keep, what she doesn't want to keep. Um, and as Stockholm is the most infected region in Sweden, and my mom being in the risk group, or one of the risk groups, um, I quite instantly said to her, you, you know, you can't go right. Um, and, and she went back and forth, you know, she, she really wants to go up there and, and, you know, pick out the things that, that she wants to, to keep and possibly even say hi to, to the rest of the family. Um, you know, we, we, we decided not to have the, have the ceremony right now, but, but we could still, she, she, she thought we could still see them and, you know, sort of hug it out or whatever. Um, you know, I, I really understand that urge that, that I want to go. Um, but we, we decided that, that I'm going to go instead. Uh, and I'm going to have very limited contact with other people. Um, but it's a hard fucking decision to make. And, and we're going to have to make it again with, with the ceremony. Just as you're saying. My mom thought she we would postpone it until, uh, I think she said... September, August, September was her thought. And I think we're going to have the same discussion then, then because at that point, um, sorry for that. There we go. Um, because at that point, we're, we're going to have the uh, bigger outbreak of the disease down here. Um, but yeah, there, there is, you know, this battle of, of desire and, and the rational and cognitive thinking about it, which is, I mean, if, if she at this point wouldn't have me and her husband to to sort of think about all all of these things together with i have no idea what what would happen or what she would do or how she how she would reason in all of this i know she'd figure it out somehow but Well, what a blessing that she's got you. Because it's got to be really hard for, for her and for all of you. Yeah, it is. I went to um, to pack up my dad's house after he died. <clears throat> he um, he died of of uh, he died of multiple um, instances of cancer. I was going to say he died of of life. <laughs> Because he did, he just kind of lived it out to the end, you know. Um, and um, the experience of of um, of working through his stuff um, was really fantastic. It was really um, so good on so many levels. Um, 
the whole process was kind of... Um, uh, I, I had no idea what would occur because I was in Sweden um, and my brother had arranged everything. And um, uh, the whole process was was utterly remarkable, I mean, in, in so many ways. Um, do, you want to, do you want to hear about <laughs> Dad's funeral? <clears throat> I mean, part of, part of the, the whole thing was that I, I flew um, and, and arrived just inside 24 hours. It was a long journey. Um, From Sweden uh, to South Africa. Yeah, <clears throat> and that was because I had to wait for a connecting flight uh, for six hours or so. And um, uh, so there were, you know, from when I left home up to when uh, my brother collected me at the airport in Johannesburg, it was around 23 hours or something ridiculous. And then we drove straight to the funeral. I had no idea. Um, that was how it was going to be. I thought it was like two days later, but I'd really not understood that that's how it was going to happen. So I flew, landed, my brother picked me up, and we drove to my dad's house. I'd never been in this house, ever. Um, and that's where I showered and changed for the, for the funeral. Even just that sort of experience was so completely... Um, indescribably strange and so we went to the funeral it was um the funeral was held in 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 uh there's uh, any number of these charismatic churches and uh it was held in one of these uh these churches and it's huge it's like a, a 1500 seater or something like that um so it's this vast auditorium really huge and impressive, but there's only about 20 people at the funeral. Um, and uh, right down at the front of the auditorium on the one side is, is um, my mom and, and, and uh, that side of the family. And on the other side is um, some people that I really don't know. Um, among them, uh, several women of the same age as my dad and they they all crying they really sort of uh, grieving and deeply upset and um, but I have no idea who they are <laughs> and um, so then the the priest came or the minister or whatever you call him and he said well you know um, I didn't know Daniel very well um, and of course, he'd never met Daniel in his life, and there were these kind of like farcical elements to the to the whole process that um, that just added this kind of you know extra layer of of uh, of uh, absurdity. Um, and uh, I mean, amongst these these uh, people that were there were. Um, uh, one of the women my dad had been married to, I'd never met her, um, and he'd actually been married and divorced twice to the same woman. Um, and then uh, there were others who, um, his current partner um, was there, and uh, other people who he knew and who... Uh, I really had no, obviously from what I'm saying, I didn't have a lot of contact with my dad at all um, in the last uh, sort of 20 years before he died, more or less. Um, we'd only spoken, I don't know, we'd s seen each other and spoken maybe, you know, five or ten times, um, if that much, exchanged a few emails and so on. And then um, from there onwards we went to the, uh, to the cemetery um, where there was a, a grave prepared and then uh, lowered the coffin into the grave. And then um, 
my brother and I filled in the in the grave and uh, wow what an amazingly cathartic experience that was it was just like oh indescribable really something just uh, that I have no words for there's no diction to to kind of um, to describe this uh, sort of sense of being so exactly in the right place at the right time, of there being no uncertainties about anything whatsoever. So remarkable. And then the day after that, uh, my brother and I went and, and started to to pack up his house. We'd already done a little bit of it at that stage, but uh, sort of the big stuff we got through and worked through his office and and you know there was these kind of things that you that you're talking about that you discovered about your your grandmother that she'd written dissertations about Polish um, cultural figures and so on um, my dad didn't write anything <laughs> there was no uh, PhD or anything in the background but there were you know things that he'd actually kept that I remember from my childhood um, from like you know 40 years ago that I can recall objects small things you know just uh, uh, wooden boxes or um, luggage you know luggage that I know that he had as a child that I when I was a child uh, uh, things that obviously he'd um, put a value on that I had Never even considered whether he would he would uh, he would uh, find important, and the books that he um, he'd collected, books that he'd uh, kept, also um, you know that you sort of by having this peculiar kind of distance and 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 being in this uh, strangely uh, liminal space. Because the person is gone, but they're not really gone, and 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 this new territory is not yet mapped out, and coming out of it is all of these missing threads of 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 uh, insight, of understanding of what sort of person this was, stuff that's not necessarily secret, but has never really been expressed, because it was important in a place that wasn't part of other people's worlds. It was only part of his world. But now it's no longer part of his world. Now it either takes on meaning as it does for me in certain cases, or otherwise there's stuff that obviously I just didn't even notice or didn't even see. And some, you know, details like finding in his, in his desk drawers communications with his doctor um, where obviously uh, about a year before he died, he'd, he'd been for, for x-rays and the x-rays are lying there and there are huge black spots the size of, you know, tennis balls. Um, and his doctor writes letters to him like regularly once a month or, you know, and then the, the letter reads, uh, dear Daniel, uh, this is, uh, your doctor, um, I wrote you a month ago reminding you that it's really important that we should meet and talk about your x-rays. And next month, same letter. Next month, the same letter. And he obviously just thought, fuck that. This is not something that you go and discuss with someone. So one day my brother phoned me, it was a Sunday, he said that um, my dad had been taken to hospital, um, he'd collapsed in his home, um, and the Sunday following he passed away. The nurse called my brother 
just 2 a.m. or something. And um, my brother wakes up. He's not, you know, he's kind of in deep sleep. And says, <laughs> and so the nurse says, um, yes, well, is that uh, Mr. Fenter? He says, yes. She says, Mr. Fenter, I'm terribly sorry, but we've lost your dad. So he pauses a bit. He says, well, why don't you just go and fucking find him? But he wasn't to be found. Not that kind of loss. So, you know, I can, um, I really uh, I admire you and the way you, you have been there for your mom. And I really, I hope she gets the opportunity to do it herself. I really do. There's not a lot to replace that, the value of that experience, you know, there's a kind of, um, it's like reclaiming my own life in uh, those aspects of my life that have disappeared into, into his, into my father's. I wouldn't want to miss that and I really kind of I feel a lot for what's happened for for people during this pandemic that don't have those opportunities to to go through closure and separation in in in, in ways that are actually practically in their bodies. Cuz mm. cuz in a sense what you what I what I hear is is that when you did that, when you went through stuff, it's like, in a sense, yes, you did find him, right? You, you do find, um, sort of clearer contours, clearer, it's like, okay, this and, and this, and sort of builds an image like a collage of, of a person, little things that you can sort of match up together and sort of, oh, oh, right? Depending on how close you've been or not been. But there's always, I mean, there's always I think Evidence of those inner threads that maybe haven't been so widely shared, but when you go through someone's stuff, you see it. It's 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 evident. At least traces of it show up. 